is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. A multi-limbed green god, part ibex, part insect, presides over a pool of beer atop a cliff, pouring the golden liquid into a drinking horn held on the shoulders of a satyr, where it overflows into a boiling cauldron on the shore of a river. A dryad with tree limbs growing from her abdomen plucks hops from the beard of a spectral moose. Voyagers embark onto the river in small boats from the moose's back, rounding the cliff upon which the green god's vat of beer rests, and just visible in cave openings on the cliff face are dwarves tirelessly mining treasures from the rock. Do the tiny, faceless forms populating the landscape understand the cosmic machinations that have brought them this drink of the gods? The scene is depicted on a 9-foot by 16-foot mural hanging over the bar at Rabid Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, a southern suburb of Chicago. Hand-painted by artist Annabelle Popa, the mural's merging of mythologies both historical and invented perfectly captures the aesthetic both of Rabid and of its founders, husband and wife team Tobias Sichon and Ray Rosado. This oddly seamless blend of wonder and irreverence is displayed in everything the pair do— their earnest vulnerability merging with occasional off-color humor in conversation, their love for fantastical artwork sharing space with full-body Tyrannosaurus and panda costumes in their taproom. I'll explain more about both in a minute. In today's episode, we'll get to the heart of what makes Rabid Brewing a reflection of its imaginative and open-hearted founders. The Rabid Brewing taproom sits at the end of an unassuming office park behind a big-box store just off the highway in Homewood, Illinois. Across a small field beside the brewery, the earth opens into a giant rock quarry, and the brewery will sometimes host movie screenings or live music in this small grassy oasis in between the concrete expanse of a commercial suburb and the massive scar in the earth that provided the building materials for this and countless other suburbs just like it. Rabbit is a small refuge of the weird and wonderful. You enter the front door and your eyes look up to the huge mural telling the mythical backstory of Rabbit's beer, and then they fall to the smaller but no less remarkable macabre accents around the space. Strange skulls adorned with too many horns, nightmare beings drawn in chalk, a small cardboard cutout of Tom Selleck. The tap list is filled with imaginative names like Lilliputian Warfare, Cobra Combat Serum, and Gnome Runner. The rabid taproom is just 10 minutes from my in-law's house, so I've spent many evenings in this space laughing with Ray and Tobias, and they're some of my favorite people in craft beer. They're sometimes brash and brazen, but also vulnerable and sincere, like tender beating hearts armed with sabers or sarcasm, depending on which is needed in a given moment. Ray is a member of her local roller derby team, the Ileana Derby Dames, and her derby name is Your Mom, just for the entertaining sentences that result from this when the announcer is commentating her activity on the rink. Early in the COVID pandemic, when Rabbit pivoted to delivering beer to customers, Ray would make deliveries in a full T-Rex head costume. 
Customers caught on to the fun and started sharing videos of these dino beer deliveries on social media, which Ray in turn played up by doing a little dinosaur dance for each house. Tobias is an avid fan of fantasy and mythology and has been a creative writer all his life. The beers he brews fit into an organized mythology in his head, which he hopes to write down into a complete fictional depiction of this imagined world soon. He's a fan of Grand Sumo Wrestling, and Saturday nights find Grand Sumo projected onto the walls of the Rabid Tap Room. More than a gimmick, regulars have picked up on the nuances of the sport and have started cheering on their favorite wrestlers. Rabid's four-year anniversary was October 13th, so I sat down recently with Ray and Tobias to talk about the imaginative wonder behind their beers and branding, and the love for good beer that set their own relationship on a journey of discovery from the very beginning. My first question for them, why did they pick the name Rabid? It started with the idea of a rabid god, and then we made a beer called Hair of the God, and then we thought hey, let's create a brewery and call it Rabbit God. And then we got some investors. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that changed things a little bit. So we ended up just trimming it down to Rabbit, which honestly, I think works out a little bit better. And as I understand it, the brewery has its origin story in your relationship, right? Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ray and I, we started dating back in 2010. And I had her over to my house. We we're going to have like a little barbecue and stuff. And uh, I went out to the store. I was like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go pick up some beer. Came back with a 12er of Miller Lite. And she just looked at me, let out a sharp bark of a laugh and said, uh, no, honey, no. <laughs> Come on. We're going back to the liquor store. And she took me back there and bought, I think we bought some, some like Apocalypse Cow and some alpha three floyd's brewery mm -hmm. and we went back and she actually taught me how to how to drink a beer you know how to what not just you know guzzle it down because it's alcohol and mm -hmm. uh, but uh, how to really appreciate the different things you know from what i'm looking at to what i'm smelling and what i'm tasting and how it feels in my mouth all these things she actually made me pay attention to and at that point i my eyes just like popped open holy crap, this is amazing. That's where that began. Once we started going to liquor stores and just like picking up various beers that we wanted to try out. This was in 2010. So the boom wasn't that big yet. You know, it was just barely starting. Eventually, I just got this sense of like, this is what I want to taste in my beer. This is how I want, you know, this to feel. I got to the point where I was like, you know what? When I was like 10 years old, I, I used to help out my dad with his home brewing. I bet you I could do it too. And, and so I did. We made a triple IPA, right? It was 11%. Hit the ground running with an 11% IPA. And it, it ended up being great. The real moment was a little bit later though. And we went out on our honeymoon. And, and I said, okay, now that... We finally got through all of that. I think we need a five-year plan. You know, what do you want to do? And how about we open a brewery? And awesome. so that began, that began our great adventure right there. So uh, you set him on the right path then? She really did. Yeah, yeah. This was all her fault. <laughs> now, did you know that the grand opening happened exactly four years and 50 weeks after that weekend? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you made it within the five-year plan. 
Yeah, oh, within yeah. five years. Barely. Just yeah. barely. <laughs> and we'll talk about this specifically with some of your beers, but one of the things I love about Rabbit is the broad interest in mythology and the ways that you bring that in at the brewery. Before we get into specifics, can you just talk about your general interest in mythology and how that tied into the brewery originally? Uh, I've been a creative writer since I was uh, in high school, and uh, mythology always appealed to me. The the archetypes that were used. I was a big fan of Star Wars when I was a little kid and learning about all the archetypes used in that and, and how stories are built, how myths are built, uh, always fascinated me. And I, and I loved stuff that was out of my reach, you know, uh, common everyday modern dramas never really interested me much because I've, I've got that myself. I can live it, but I can't live this other stuff. Ray, I know one of the striking details of the tap room when you first walk in is that gigantic mural over the bar uh, with all the different fanciful creatures and everything else. Can you explain that to us a little bit and how you guys got that? When people ask me about our brand, you know, oftentimes they want to distill it down into this one thing and they want to say, oh, you're a metal place or you're a punk place or you're a D&D place. Or, you know, pagan or whatever. And yeah. I like to say that it's, um, it's about all of that. It's about all of the, the great mythological traditions and the passion that the people who believed in those traditions had. To me, that's what rabbit is. Yeah. And my personal interest, like you, you are the storyteller, but I'm, I've been very interested in religions for as long as I can remember. And what, what I think um, where it sort of lines up is, in a sense, I feel like we have created our own mythological universe where you know we have called on all of the great traditions and then where one didn't exist we wrote our own and that's kind of what I feel like this this mural is all about it's the creation of beer as we see it there is you know there is a satyr like creature who's working on the mash and there is a dryad like creature who is gathering the hops and kind of but there is all of this mythology that's going on all around it most of those most of those myths actually steeped in beers uh, that we made in our first year of existence. But then there's even kind of a, a little bit of a representation of the rabid god, the creature who is, you know, possibly in charge of all of this. So that's kind of what's going on up there. Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're looking. actually looking at it right here. So. Do those two characters represent anything specific for the brewery? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there is there is a little bit of a tie into them being representative of both me and Ray. But aside from that, you know, the Seder is uh, is all about like the party. yeah, that is 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 the fun bringer, and so that is really kind of what we wanted the spirit of this place to be. You know, a a poetic hub of fun. So so the Seder is definitely uh, where we wanted to start, and then we have other characteristics about our our brewery. I think. You know, that we're, we do care for people and we are like family. People. And I think the dryad brings a lot of that kind of imagery into it as well. You mentioned other details around the brewery. Can you briefly share some of the other mythological accents around the space? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, really it starts with our cans, but we've got some mythological boars, basically boar heads, just different shaped tusks coming out of different places. And we've got a ceremonial death mask with a giant tusks that come out really low uh, we've got you know i mean like this piece behind us you know this was actually done by a couple of our uh, tattoo artists this one in particular was done by uh, ivan thomas 
because of the nature of it being chalk, told people, yeah, the art around here is going to change once in a while. We have had people yell at us. That's the thing. People get really passionate about art. Tobias and Ray are just as passionate about art, and that led to their ongoing relationship with New York-based artist Annabelle Popa. I spoke with Annabelle recently about how her partnership with Rabbit began, her process for creating the Rabbit Tapper mural and other pieces, and her love for the fantastical. So Annabelle, can you share with me a little bit of how you got involved with Rabbit Brewing? So it was a couple of years ago, I was still kind of, I think it was junior or senior year in college. My boyfriend at the time, his mother was very close friends with Ray. And they mentioned something about looking for an artist. And she was like, oh yeah, my son's girlfriend is an artist. And like, of course, you know, the first reaction is when you have a family member say that you're like, oh, they're not really going to be a good artist. And it's, right. you know, a funny little thing. But I was studying illustration at the time. And like, my passion is like mythology, folklore, monsters, creatures, I would be drawing like satyrs every day um, and dragons. And that was just kind of like how I started. Um, and so when we were connected, Ray was like, oh, shoot, this is exactly what we've been looking for. And so since then, it's just kind of anytime they need some labels or anything, I do my best to riff off of whatever they create as well. So one of the most striking features of their tap room is the large mural hanging behind the bar by the the ceiling. And I understand that was your creation. Can you tell me a little bit about conceiving that, creating that, and then walk me through what we're seeing in that mural? When we were first talking about designs, characters, vision, like the the general vibe of the mural, I think they had um, their main character, Kaz who is the satyr, they had him kind of solidified, but there's this other secondary character named Promethea who is in the mural. But that was kind of, I think, right before we had finalized her design. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we knew that we had these two characters that we wanted to kind of build the narrative around. And Tobias was mentioning how he may eventually want to create like comics or different kind of narratives and stories around each beer name, but that the mural was more like, I guess, the basis for the world. So the mural, there's a lot of like little hidden things in it. They had, I don't know exactly how many specific brews at that point, but there was maybe like Dwarves of Doom. And so somewhere in the mural, there's like these little dwarves with the dwarf logo. I think it was maybe in the cliff somewhere. And so I tried to incorporate a little bit of everything just to kind of create this world building of all these different brews that they would continue on. My favorite part, just because I love animals, was like, this weird moose god that they were like harvesting the hops from and that like you have these constellations and in between the horns and even there was another character with these big horns so that was kind of like my little bit that I added to it kind of creating these like ultimate celestials that then these two characters would harvest whether it was like I think the other horned god had like the um, initial beer and kind of like this juice and kind of weird liquid from another world So that was kind of them as, I guess, Kaz and Promethea, kind of Tobias and Ray, taking from these larger characters that are like symbols of the universe or something bigger. Um, And so that was just trying to create like a really larger narrative mythology that maybe eventually we can continue to pull from um, if we need to with other beers, but central to like the two main characters. Yeah, that is very cool. (laughs) And how big is that mural? I think it's about nine feet tall and 16 feet wide. So that's a huge surface. Can you share just a little bit about your process of how you go about working on that large of a piece? Yeah. So that was actually um, 
normally I don't really have a studio, but I had been able to find like a really big wall in one of the bedrooms that I was living in at the time. And so I had to kind of like move the bed, move everything around, put paper down. And then I had to like nail or staple up the mural to the wall. And the edges were kind of like curving. It was very like classic sketchy artist kind of thing. But, and then at that point, I obviously had already sketched it and planned it out. And so at that point, it's just painting it much larger on the canvas. So it's doing the artist thing. But it's funny because always with those larger things, if you're not actually working on the physical wall itself, having a canvas that large, is kind of hard to find like a flat wall that is that big. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, You mentioned that you've also done some label art for Ray and Tobias. Can you share maybe some of your favorites for those? And then also, how does working on that medium differ from the art that you're normally making, you know, painting a, a canvas or something? So far, the three ones that we created, the Horse Revenge was the very first one, the Imperial IPA. And that one was really fun to do because that was like the first one that was I guess trying this new medium that I've done a little bit in the past but not at least for um rabid then we had I think it was dwarves of doom and then the manticore so like personally I I am originally a painter illustrator but digital art has always been something that I've you know taught myself throughout the years and then I even did many years of graphic design and so the labels weren't extremely out of my comfort zone. Those might have been even more in my comfort zone just because you can kind of um, mess with them a little bit more digitally while painting. Once you paint something, it's hard to change it and adjust it. Personally, in terms of working with Rabbit, the labels have been uh, much more fun just because they're more flexible and I can kind of add a little bit more detail, add a little bit more style, especially with like the Manticore and Horus, those were kind of like my own character designs. Um, and the dwarves as well, but I'm like, I'll draw humans, but it's not as fun for me. So the other two having these like monsters that like uh, Ray and Tobias don't really have maybe a strong connection to them. So it's like they give the artist a little bit more freedom. While when you have your two main characters, it's like you have the design that you have to stick to. Ultimately, I was still able to design them, but it's like a little bit more um, closed parameters. Sure. So when they bring you a a new beer like this that they want you to work on, how much do they guide you on that? And do they just kind of give you the name and say, do what you want? Or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it depends on, I guess, the brew and maybe on how much they already envisioned for that. With Horus, it's more just drawing upon the actual Egyptian mythology. So that was kind of like, they were just, yeah, gave me the idea, the character and said, okay, this is the information. This is the legal stuff. This is what we need. Have fun with it. Dwarves of Doom, I know Tobias was a little bit more, I guess, excited for it. So I kind of did like a very basic dwarf kind of thing. And then he was like, oh, add some glowing or let's try this. Let's try this color. So he was a little bit more in tune with the designing of that, which is, I find really fun because also as an illustrator, you're really trying to get their kind of view and what they want. And so sometimes it's really helpful to have that feedback. But with Manticore, I just kind of like drew a really cool Manticore, added some little fun things on the side and they were like, oh, that looks great. Maybe change the snarl. (laughs) So most of the time it, it happens very organically. That organic give and take has allowed for visual expressions of many of the ideas in Tobias's imagination for Rabbit's unifying mythology. I asked him to elaborate on that backstory and sketch out some of its components. So you mentioned this a little bit, but 
I know you have spoken to me before about wanting to write a cohesive mythology that kind of brings all of this together. Can you share a little bit of the vision for that, whether or not you've had a chance to do it yet? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, all of it is like location wise, it's vaguely based on our current location and it uses basically what is like Michigan is as this kind of magical waters place. There's, you know, a great snake that continues to try to drain the waters. And there are the heroes of the area that try to stop that and continue to give the waters to the rest of the people on the planet. And is your intent for all of your beers, you know, once you can eventually do that to kind of tie into that and touch on it? Kind of play into it. Yeah, as many as possible. There are a couple that, you know, the naming like came out a little bit weird, but those were earlier on. And I think that everything that we're doing now is creating either scenes that may have happened in this mythological land or referencing, you know, specific creatures or types of creatures. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. The Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Bar Stool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my level two exam many years ago. I wish the level three had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. So let's talk about some examples with beer names and how you kind of organize those. I know you have the line of like angel names for some of your double IPAs and things like that. Can you talk about some of those? So that's actually a little inaccurate. We actually have what we like to call the Juicifer series of hoppy beers. And all of those Juicifer series beers are named after demons. It freaks some people out, you know, and I have to assure them that that we're not Satanists there's anything wrong with that (laughs) but yeah I usually have to convince them that it's otherwise and tell them a little story of you know why a beer is named the way it is and you know so hero is one of my favorite ones because it's kind of hard to say people freak out a little because it's spelled w-h-i-r-o but it is pronounced like fear fero and it's named as such because that is a isn't that a demon from new zealand yep which is where the Wakatu hops that are in that beer is from. And so it's this nice little tie-in. And we actually just canned an, another beer in that series called Bale. And that's spelled B-A-A-L. So Immediately to, people are calling it Ball. Right, they want right. to call it Ball. So we were helping ourselves out. Uh, and we, on the, on the date code stamp on the bottom, we, we made it say rhymes with ale. Nice. Good thinking. 
<laughs> so let's talk about some of your can artwork then. Does Annabelle do those as well? Or do you work with other artists for those? Annabelle does our bottles, which are like more intricate than the cans, but I do all of the cans. Oh, awesome. Talk a little bit about your process for that. How do you do that artwork? So, you know, I mean, it starts with the name, whatever the name of the, uh, the beer is going to be. I need to figure that out. If it is part of the Juice Super Series, I'll look up the demonology, the sigil for it. And so oftentimes I'll start with that and kind of build around it. Or, you know, I'll do something else. Like with Witch Racer that just came out, I decided to take a fighter jet helmet and mask and then create like a digital magic circle with various symbols on the inside. Yeah, at the end of it, it's, would I want to get this tattooed on me? And if I think that it would look good as a tattoo, then that works. That's an excellent rule of thumb to follow. <laughs> now, you did forget the one part of the process that you let me be part of. And that's the part where you ask me what I think. That's right. And where I tell you, and then you usually argue with me, but then you do it. And yeah. then what usually happens? Then I like it. And then it looks awesome. Right. So. This is all true. That's great. So one of my favorite things that you do is the Feast of the Goat Queen, which is an event every spring. Ray, can you talk about the background for that and what it involves? Feast of the Goat Queen is a perfect example of us making up a mythology where one didn't exist. When we first decided to open in a location just, what, less than five miles west of Three Floyds, we wanted to make sure that we were going to capitalize on that fact because they had a Dark Lord Day every mm -hmm. year and they were bringing what, like something like 30,000 beer fans to the area and a lot of them from way out of town. So folks were coming in for the weekends and they were looking for things to do the rest of the weekend just to, to kind of counterbalance Dark Lord Day and all that it is. We were kind of going for a low-key pagan fertility festival. <laughs> is kind of how it was fleshing out. And one of my favorite parts about it, we actually, we didn't eat any goats, but we did have baby goats here for petting and drinking beer with. The first year, did you, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the first year we had the baby goats, they had a young baby that was black and he had a little star right between his, yeah. his nubs. And they yeah. named him after our, our Seder character, they named him Kazbek. That's right. But yeah, it has traditionally just been, you know, a nice party to have that day before. Lots of bands, lots of lots of beer, lots of we were making chorus, which was a what, fourteen percent triple IPA. Yeah, fourteen and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I love that beer because it it never really tasted like a fourteen or fifteen percent beer, which is good and bad. But I loved it because it was one of the first beers that our customers talked about. Like it is a verb. You know, they would talk about getting horused. Yeah, 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 that's right. Man, I had two last night and I was all horused up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to doing it again. We had somebody actually that would dress up as the goat queen, but I'm not really sure what's going to happen with that going forward. That'll be kind of an interesting thing for us yeah. to, to tease out because that's the other thing. There might not be Dark Lord Day anymore. Right. And so we might really have to, sit back and figure out how to make this work for us in the way that in a world where maybe we go forward without dark lord well i will come up for the feast of the goat queen so i think i'd rather do that than dark lord day one beer of particular note for the themes of bean to bar stool is dwarves of doom a 10 percent abv imperial stout brewed with cacao and coffee 
As Rabid's own description reads, the hammers under the mountain have forged the mightiest magical armor, a crushingly smooth stout made from the wizardry of local coffee roasters and chocolatiers. I asked Tobias to explain the background to this beer and the chocolate collaboration behind it. Yeah, that beer started out as, well, it started as a recipe from our head brewer, Joe, before he ever worked for and so he just, he said, here, this is a great recipe. I've made it a million times. Uh, why don't you try it out? So I took it and I modified it a little bit according to how I like to make things. So, yeah, we always wanted to use like the, you know, the, the best kind of stuff we could get our hands on. And so we we're just trying different things out. And so since then, we've moved to Smuggler's Coffee and we've been using them ever since. Recently, we went to Ethereal Chocolate Confectionaries. Well, actually, it's is it just Ethereal Chocolate. It's Ethereal Confections. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I just call them Ethereal. So, sure. <laughs> but yeah, so we started using theirs. So they sent us this this sample pack of all their cacao, and the cacao, holy cow, this stuff was amazing. We we opened it up, and just the burst of chocolate that just came out of these bags. Was so intense. We we're like, all right, well, we got to try this. Definitely need to use this. So we decided to try them out, and they definitely have a really good product. Which cacao from Ethereal Confections did you use in that beer? Uh, we used the Ecuadorian. It was it was between that and the Dominican, and we felt that for this beer, the Ecuadorian had a nice, richer, kind of earthier flavor to it that played a little bit better with the coffee that we were using at the time. Very cool. And where did the name Dwarves of Doom come from? I was trying to figure out uh, something like, what did this beer remind me of? And, and it was, you know, it's big, heavy, 10% and magnificently crafted. And dwarves do all that. I cannot even remember what the other name was at the time. I had two names. And I came out to my staff and I said, hey, you guys, do you think this name or Dwarves of Doom? Everybody just looked at me, dropped their jaws, and said, Dwarves of Doom. <laughs> like, all right, that's it. I don't know if I told you guys this or if I put this on social media or not, but when I was getting a photo of that beer back in the winter, my grandmother, who died when I was like 13 or 14, when we were going through her house, she had this old, like, medieval morning star. I have no wow. idea why she had this. Wow. Like the, like the chain with the spiked ball hanging no on it. So I have kept it ever since. That's so I, I decided to use it in the photo. So I'm walking around our back shared courtyard with the bomber of beer and this morning star. And all of a sudden, like stopped and realized that like all of my neighbors could see me just wandering around the courtyard with this medieval weapon <laughs> and a bomber of beer. So that is worth it for the photo, though. <laughs> they probably just said, oh, there's that Nelson again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just shut the curtains. <laughs> Have you had the chance to use Ethereal Confections in any other beers? Yeah, we did. We used them in Shadow Stepper. Tell me a little bit about that beer. Well, Shadow Stepper is, I think, our oldest uh, recipe that is in regular rotation. It is a chocolate milk stout. This was my very first stout recipe. So this beer, I started using cow nibs and that as well back in the beginning. And, you know, I would just get, I think I would, I would just get whatever I could out of, you know, the local brew shop. You know, they'd mm-hmm. have like little you know, one pound packages or something like that. But then I started getting, you know, buying from a wholesaler and they were all really good. But I think that this last one where we use is that, this one is the Ecuador as well. 
yeah, I love this beer. It is a seven percenter that it has all of the chewy mouthfeel of something a lot bigger. There is lactose, but it's like lactose done the right way. You know, it's yeah. not as the as the main dish. And yeah. um, and I love all of the roastiness. I, I frequently have to argue with people that insist that there must be coffee in it. It gives me this awesome opportunity to tell them what dark roasted malt will do yeah but i it's this is one of my favorite beers i love the way that it pours i love the it gets a nice creamy head on it yeah i gotta be honest i think i'm i'm at the point now where i'm loath to tell people that there's any lactose in a beer because the expectation is that it's going to come out as milkshake Mm -hmm. and like no you barely can taste it's there for other reasons (laughs) not to be the main the main show I know in speaking with Marisa from Ethereal Confections previously, she had mentioned that the reason they started marketing to breweries was because they had gone into a homebrew shop and, and tried the cacao and realized how much better their cacao was. Can you yeah. briefly comment on the improvement of being able to use really thoughtfully sourced and processed cacao in the beer versus just commodity that's out there? You know, it feels really good to, to know that, you know, you're not taking part in something that's exploitative we don't want to do that and, and it's hard to figure out that kind of stuff too when you know you just got to go out there and get your ingredients and get the job done a lot of times considering where these things are coming from and what the process is for getting you know sometimes that's trickier and when it comes to more unique ingredients like chocolate and cacao ingredients that are not coming from the u.s you know, you do want to take a good look at, at what that is. It also, I don't think hurts matters at all that it's a superior product. Um, <laughs> I mean, just from my vantage, I, I felt like there was a greater oil content mm. in the in the nibs that were coming from Ethereal. You know, yeah. There just was, there was more, I'm sure they were a lot more expensive, but there was a hell of a lot more bang for the buck. Like, yeah. You know, I felt like you were really getting something out of that pound mix. Yeah. Or, you know, pound for pound. Right. Right. The aroma of Dwarves of Doom leads with surprisingly bright, fresh coffee for as big of a beer as it's housed in, along with dark bread and roasted grain and some subtle cocoa. The palate carries a good deal of acidity from this trio of roasted ingredients with subtle spice and a big push of dark roasted coffee. The cacao is mostly incorporated into the roasted malt profile, adding deeper complexity. This beer is bold but complex, loud but light on its feet. The pair's love for the fantastical naturally makes October a favorite month for them. We wrapped up by talking about what this season means to them. So as we head into Halloween, I understand this time of year is significant to both the brewery and to your marriage. Can you speak to that a little bit? (laughs) It's all you. Well, our um, anniversary of our grand opening uh, will come around October 13th, and I can't remember, I think that falls on a Thursday this year, so we're probably going to have to push that off for a couple of days, but we're going to have a big-ass party, of course, as one does. Yes, when, they turn, when they turn four, they should throw a big-ass party, <laughs> um, but it is also uh, going to be our, our anniversary of our wedding on October 27th. And that would, that would be nine, nine years. years. But I think probably what you're referring to is that we are just different kind of people. And um, there was not going to be a tuxedo that was going to satisfy Tobias or a big white dress that was going to make me happy. We had a backyard costume party wedding. And 
Tobias might have had horns on his head and pointy ears and goatskin chaps, and you know, I'm sure I had way too much wedding boob. Oh, your wedding boob was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but all of our guests were uh, were costumed, and um, and it's one of my favorite days ever. Yeah, absolutely. People keep on talking about it. Nine that sounds ago. awesome. Do you do anything special at the brewery for Halloween? Generally, uh, we do have Halloween parties every year. Yes. And uh, we have Halloween costume contests. We get some pretty yeah. good entries. Yeah. Really good entries. <laughs> yeah, we have really had some good ones. One of my favorites that I remember was the machine from Big. The yeah. fortune teller machine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah she Zoltran. Yeah, yeah, she came in dressed up as, as Zoltan with a huge box around her and is totally decked out. And, and she actually would like, spit out like a little card if you that is <laughs> you push amazing. so yeah it was pretty great that's fantastic what story are you telling with rabbit brewing down to our logo which has two notches for the two of us you know this has been about us and about us going out on an adventure together and that is really what this thing and this what our marriage and this venture all what it all has been about is the two of us pairing up, going out on a trip, and uh, taking it out and seeing where it leads. Right. You're right that the, that the story is with us at the core, but but I feel like the story that we are really telling right now, especially right now, is you have one life and it's short and it goes by so quickly. And so I feel like the story is to go do the thing, go do all of the things. Yeah. Yeah. You go do the things and. I feel like a lot of our friends and family and customers maybe really admire us and they go, oh, you know, oh, you're doing so great. And the thing is, they could do the things too. You know, maybe their thing isn't a brewery. Yeah. Maybe their thing is something else, but you have to start the journey. Ray Rosado and Tobias C. Sean are doing the things. They're on an adventurous journey together as individuals and as a couple and a beautiful and at times tenuous endeavor running a small brewery together that reflects who they are. As Tobias mentioned earlier, some of the art in the rabid taproom is drawn in chalk, and there are spaces of black chalkboard on several walls with bits of chalk lying about. Guests are encouraged to leave their mark. Sometimes that's artwork of surprising skill, other times it's dirty jokes. Everyone is welcome here. Coming through those doors means you're part of the weird family Tobias and Ray have fostered at Rabid Brewing. Step inside, grab a piece of chalk, and write yourself into the Rabid story. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bean to Barstool. Happy hauntings, everyone.